can't do another cold open. It's not funny anymore. Uh, yeah, so today for the third time, we're talking about Rogue, starring James Stewart, John Dahl, Farley Granger, Joan Chandler, Sir Hedrick Hardwick, Constance Collier, Douglas Dick, and Edith Evanson, directed by Alfred Hitchcock. I am Ryan, one of your reviewers here on the show. I'm Brendan, and I'm sick of this fucking movie. <laughs> I'm Matthew, for the third time. I'm Logan. I'm I'm fresh, and I'm, I'm pumped to talk about this movie. I don't know what you guys are talking about. <laughs> yeah, so, um... If you go back and listen to our review that came out last weekend, or last Monday, uh, you'll notice that it wasn't a review because we tried to record this episode two separate times and had two separate malfunctions. And who knows if you're even listening to this, honestly. Like, who knows? Who knows if this even worked out this time? We don't know. We'll find out. Um, I'm so upset. <laughs> this is just a cursed <laughs> podcast, I decided, that we we got 25 minutes into the first time Brendan threw up. I did. We got about an hour into the second time, and Matt's computer had a seizure. It did. And lost the Audacity file. So that's the the problems with doing every episode over Skype right now during the quarantine. So, uh, so yeah, this we're is, back. But this last... is how you do me, Miss Rona. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> the last two times that we did the podcast, we did not have our fourth co-host, Logan, with us. So we're hoping that this time the, the discussion will be... Even better because Logan will be here and it won't feel like we're having the same podcast for the third time. Yeah, hopefully. I'm, I am I am really, really excited to talk about this movie. Uh, glad I could rejoin for it. But uh, yes, I, I, I feel your pain. It's happened to Matt and I before where we've just completely lost an episode file and yep. uh, we got to just start from scratch. But yeah, I, I am sure that this was going to be a great episode. It hurts the soul a little. I'm not going to lie. It, it hurts the soul a little. It hurts. It um, does. But, but Logan, speaking of another episode that you missed, The 39 Steps, before we get into anything about 1948's Rope, let's talk, let's give your thoughts on uh, The 39 Steps. Yeah, so I did uh, actually get a chance to watch The 39 Steps, uh, listen to uh, the entirety of the podcast, and I, I think it was okay that I wasn't on it because I, I pretty much agreed with uh, everything you guys said. Um, again, like, I, I just, the same sort of thing as with... Uh, with the lodger, like, although I, I did have complaints about the lodger other than just the pacing, but like these old movies that the pacing is not very good, I, I would say, but sure. you know, that's a, that, that's a given comes with the territory. And, uh, I, I think the 39 steps does uh, a really good job. I, I, I really liked the elements that, um, that kind of come back in the end. Uh, they, they become important in the end and even things like, uh, you know, like the, the Mr. Memory show comes in, uh, it, it, it has a double significance, right? The, the first time it's just a plot significance of, of bringing the two characters together at the beginning. And then of course, at the end, there's uh, a much larger significance to it. So yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. Um, I, I think I'm going to go with like, I, I was thinking about a B, but as I listened to uh, the podcast episode. I, I think I'm going to give it a B plus because I, I think it's a really, really solid movie. Wow, great. I'm glad that you liked it more than I did, actually. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, going into 1948's Rope, um, as we talked about the other two times, we should just stop mentioning that we did it another two times. We're just gonna, I'm just going <laughs> to try to pretend that we haven't had this conversation before. So, uh, in between the last two podcasts, we are jumping over 13 years of history. And, Matt, do you want to give us a little bit of the background on the time period in Hitchcock's career and, of course, the world, even though most people probably know that um, in these 13 years between these two movies? 
Yeah, so the 39 Steps and the Lodger were both uh, Hitchcock's British films. So now we're jumping ahead to uh, one of his American movies uh, made in Hollywood. We've got uh, this is coming after his uh, Academy Award winning film, Rebecca. Um, so Hitchcock is a much more established director at this point. You can see that with the big stars that are in this movie, like Jimmy Stewart. Um, his name holds a lot more weight. And in terms of the historical context, uh, we're skipping over World War II, uh, a pretty big uh, pretty big event that affected a lot of people. So uh, definitely a lot of events to keep on mind when watching this movie. Yeah, so uh, as Matt said, we're, we're jumping from Europe to America with Alfred Hitchcock in this movie. Um, this is the first film made by Transatlantic Pictures, uh, which was his production company that he made with Sidney Bernstein, a famous American producer. Um, it's his first Technicolor film, so we will be going back to black and white with Psycho, but for the next two weeks we will be in Technicolor in its glory. Um, Th- that's interesting, yeah, because because I, I was really enjoying this this color, but I was thinking about, uh, we already reviewed Vertigo, so go back and listen to that, but uh, that that occurred after this one, right? Yes, that was in 1958. And it's also in black and white, so I, I was like a little Oh, uh, no, Vertigo's in color. Is it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, d- disregard Remember, she had that. the she had that, that green dress. Green dress. That's right, that's right. Watch the movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Actually, good color. Yeah. No, yeah, I know. I'm sorry. I, <laughs> I, I, I did watch that movie. I promise you, I did. I, <laughs> it's I, not I just a Brendan forgotten. during a certain episode that it won't listen. be named. <laughs> I, I have watched every listen, movie. That, go back. That we've reviewed. Go back and listen through our catalog and try to pick out the movie that Brendan didn't watch. <laughs> just try to find it, and if you let us know, how about we have that as a contest someday, guys? There you go. We'll be like the first person to figure, figure out which movie, which episode Brendan didn't watch. I, I, I have the perfect prize. Before? They get the Last Jedi Blu-ray. <laughs> okay, yeah, sure. We you know what? That's open. That is open until. Who, if anyone's listening and can go and find it, you can get a Last Jedi. You'll just get a Last Jedi Blu-ray for it. It's open. Spontaneous it. contest right now. Yeah, because <laughs> it we, has to we be on your it. first guess, though. It has to be on your first mm-hmm. guess. You can't yeah. guess. Yes, first guess. Can't yeah. guess forty-nine times. Forty-nine <laughs> times yeah. and be like, I. It has to be one of these. Yeah. What yeah. If it's not. Who knows? Okay, and to, sorry, sorry to get us off track there. Yeah. But back to rope. Um. So as I said, first Technicolor movie. First movie at Transatlantic. Uh, this was a big deal for Hitchcock's career, you know, starting this production company, doing it on his own in terms of actually making the movie, getting the the big leap with uh, Technicolor. But he also wanted to have a ver- couple very big stars in this movie, um, Cary Grant and Montgomery Clift, who are names, if you know this time period of film, those are very big names. Um, but they turned the film down. Uh, Matt, do you want to talk about this a little bit? I know you have some background on this, right? Yeah, so Hitchcock really wanted Cary Grant. Um, he's worked with Cary Grant a bunch of other times. Um, uh, we won't tor- be seeing him at all in this in this we, yes, series, we, unfortunately. Yes, we won't, but uh, when this movie was filmed, uh, Notorious had already come out, a very popular one with Cary Grant. Which and, there's and, a reference of. Yep, which they kind of reference movie. in this movie. But yeah, so they both turned down the movie because of they didn't want to ruffle any feathers with the homosexual subtext in the movie. Um but yeah, he, he really wanted Cary Grant because he felt that he exuded a, a very uh, prominent like sexuality. You know, he was a very uh, attractive man in that time period, and he was kind of like a, a sex figure. Um, and it's interesting, giving the role to Jimmy Stewart then, how that doesn't really transfer over as much, and you start to lose mm-hmm. that a bit. It's interesting. No, yeah. Uh, James Stewart's a good-looking guy, but he's not. He's he doesn't have that chemistry. He's that... a dad, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he is a dad. He's He, he was America's dad before Tom Hanks. 
Yeah. <laughs> Carrie Green, um, what a guy. Yeah, so there's there's so much more to talk about with the, the actual production of this film. Arthur Lawrence. Um, I know I... Cre- uh, writer of West Side Story. Uh, oh. He, he uh, came up with the, the original concept for West Side Story and also Gypsy, I believe. Um, yeah, he did the, the screenplay for this, which was something that I've talked about three times now. Uh, but, well, super cool. And it's something that super makes cool. sense because this film very much plays like a play. Yes. Um, Let's talk about that. There's a play. Yeah. That this is based off that of. That this yes. is based off of. Wow. Yeah, you, you, can, Brennan, you can definitely tell. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's yeah, all done no, like yeah, one is, set, one shot. Yeah. Yeah. And the play that we should talk about is based off of a pair of murders or a murder by a pair. Very similar to the film. If you go back and look, look at it, it's the uh, Loeb and Leopold case where two University of Chicago students killed a 14-year-old in 1924, um, one of their classmates, simply to try to do it. And it was a, a, a homosexual couple killing a, a student, a fellow student, because they felt they were superior. Like, the the lines are very clear, even though in the actual film they would never mention it, or in the production they would never mention it. Um, but that is definitely, definitely the inspiration for this uh for this film do you guys know anything about that case or looking back on it can you like see that it's it's definitely based on that oh my god they were roommates um uh, i am <laughs> they were just roommates they were just good friends they're they like ernie and pearls you can't prove anything uh i am not familiar with that uh with that real life case but it um it makes sense that he would draw inspiration from that um that the play would then he would draw inspiration from the play um yeah, I've never heard of it, but I, I'm assuming it was a pretty big thing at that time. It was, yeah. Wasn't like the because the um uh, uh the Brandon character, uh, whichever one he was based off of, was like also kind of a psychopath. Um, I think that was sociopath. Loeb. I don't remember which which it is, but um, but it, one of them got murdered in prison. I know that. Exciting, fun, cool. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I remember looking um, looking this up last time, and there was like ah. uh, some very clear connections between them. Yeah, so not to get too gruesome, but Loeb got murdered in prison. Uh, it says here on his Wikipedia page, homicide in parentheses from 58 inflicted wounds from a razor attack. Jesus. Um, so he got killed in prison. And then Leopold actually got out of prison and died in Puerto Rico of a heart attack in 1971. So, isn't, didn't he write a book or something? He wrote a book being I like, oh, I'm, I was innocent or some shit like that. Oh, really? Right. It was like OJ. I think so. Like, I didn't do it, but if I did do it, this is how I would have done it. Yeah, basically. <laughs> it's like, uh, well... <laughs> Well, there's, there's a lot more to get into with the production of this movie, but I say we talk about it while yep. we talk about the plot of the film. So I'm going to uh, struggle my way through a, another plot summary. Maybe since this is the third time I've read it, I'll actually not struggle through it, but that's doubtful. My favorite I part. Really, of the I highly so. doubt it. Highly two brilliant doubt. young, two brilliant young aesthetics. I don't know what that word is. <laughs> Brennan Shaw, played by John Dahl, and Philip Morgan, played by Farley Granger, <laughs> strangled to death their former classmate from Harvard University, David Kentley played by Dick Hogan, in their Manhattan penthouse apartment. They commit the crime as an intellectual exercise. They want to prove their superiority by uh, committing the perfect murder. After hiding the body in a large antique wooden chest, Brandon and Philip host a dinner party at the apartment 
which uh which has a, a panoramic view of Manhattan skyline. The guests who are unaware of what has happened include the victim's father, Mr. Kentley, played by Sir uh, Richard Hardwick, and his aunt, Mrs. Atwater, played by Constance Collier. His mother is unable to attend because of a cold. Also present are his fiancée, Janet Walker, played by the great Joan Chandler, and her former lover, Kenneth Lawrence, played by Douglas Dick, who uh, was once close friends with David. Brandon uses the chest containing the body as a buffet table for the food just before their housekeeper, Mrs. Wilson, played by Edith Evanson, arrives to help with the party. Uh, Brandon and Phillip's idea for the murder was inspired earlier by conversations with their prep school housemaster publisher, Rupert Cadell, played by the great Jimmy Stewart. While they were at school, Rupert had discussed with them, in apparently improving way, the intellectual concept of, here we go again, Nietzsche's Ubermensch and uh, De Quincey's Art of the Murder, I don't care if I pronounce that wrong, don't correct me, as a means of showing one's superiority over others. He's uh, He too is among the guests at the party, since Brandon in particular thinks that he would appreciate uh, approve of their work of art. Brandon's subtle hints about David's absence indirectly lead to a discussion of the art of murder. Brandon appears calm and in control, although when he speaks to Rupert, he is nervously excited and stammering. Philip, on the other hand, is visibly upset and morose. He does not conceal it well and starts to drink too much. When David's aunt, Mrs. Atwater, who fancies herself a fortune teller, tells him that his hands will bring him great fame, she is referring to his skills at the piano, but he appears to think that this refers to the notoriety of being a strangler. I'm gonna get you. But... Much of the conversation, however, focuses on David and his strange absence, which worries the guests. A suspicious Rupert quizzes a fidgety Philip. I I hate that. We've read through it three times. Fidgety this, Philip. Whoever wrote this plot summary had to write, A suspicious Rupert quizzes a fidgety Philip and thinks that I can read that correctly. <laughs> That's my new favorite tongue twister, fidgety Philip. Yeah, seriously. Fidgety Philip. Fidgety Philip. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll have to do that before we start like every episode now. We have to... Suspicious yeah, Rupert quizzes a fidgety Philip. That's really. That's I mean, I have to. Yeah. I'm, I'm, like I'm the supposes. one that messes up too. Yeah. All right. So a suspicious Rupert quizzes a fidgety Philip nice. about this and about some of the inconsistencies that have been raised in conversation. For example, Philip vehemently denies ever strangling a chicken at the Shaw's farm, although Rupert has seen Philip strangle several. Philip later com- uh, complains to Brandon about having a had a rotten evening, not because of David's murder, but because of Rupert's questioning. Uh, as the evening goes on, David's father and fiance begin to worry uh, because he has he is neither arrived nor phone. Brandon increases the tension by playing matchmaker between Janet and Kenneth, who are former lovers. Doesn't say that in here, but it should say that. Hmm. Uh, Mrs. Kenley calls overwrought because she has not heard from David, and Ms. Mr. Kenley decides to leave. He takes with him some books Brandon has given him, tied together with the rope Brandon and Philip used to strangle his son. When Rupert goes to leave, Mrs. Wilson accidentally hands him David's uh, monogrammed hat, further arousing his suspicion. Rupert returns to the apartment a short while after everyone else has departed, pretending that he has left his cigarette case behind. He asks for a drink and then stays to theorize about David's disappearance. He is encouraged by Brandon, who Rupert, uh, who hopes Rupert will understand and even applaud them. A drunk Philip, unable to bear it anymore, throws a glass and accuses Rupert of playing cat and mouse games with him and Brandon, which was once our cold open, but no longer. Cat and mouse, cat Rupert and mouse. sees his... Uh, Rupert seizes Brandon's gun from Philip and over Brandon's Brandon's injections. My what? Insists <laughs> over Brandon's objections insists on examining the chest. He lifts the lid Windows. of the chest and finds the body inside. He is horrified and deeply ashamed, realizing that Brandon and Philip, Brandon and Philip, I'm gonna keep doing that, used his own rhetoric. I didn't kill anyone uh, to rationalize murder. We don't know that. We don't know that. Hey, listen to Rupert me. Rupert disavows <laughs> all previous talks of superiority and inferiority and fires several shots out the window to attract attention. As the police arrive, Rupert sits on a chair next to the chest and Philip begins to play the piano and Brandon continues to drink. And that is Alfred Hitchcock's rope. 
So uh, I think um, what were you guys just real quick initial thoughts on the film? Unless there was something you want to say, Brennan. Oh, no, no, no. It's it's fine. I, I just remembered something, but I can talk about that later when we get to it. Uh, but sure. Initial thoughts. Uh, I mean, you know, it's it's a really like I was legitimately like anxious during this movie, which is like something that old movies like uh, like I, I watch a lot of Twilight Zone and a lot of like other old films and stuff like that. But I, for the most part old movies never really get me like anxious like i i am never like i don't know invested enough in them to be like oh like i'm legitimately like nervous for these characters but for some reason this movie really got me and i was i was just really anxious and i think that it just because of like maybe it was the one continuous shot um and how it kind of felt like everything was happening at once right well continuous um mm-hmm. yeah we'll talk about it yeah we'll talk about that but like and how but like how everything was happening at once and like uh and we talked a little bit about this last time i know i'm gonna keep saying that and i'm sorry in advance but i just want to, it's because i know it's be- all three of us are gonna keep saying it <laughs> it's because i want to keep bringing that back up um a lot of the really like <laughs> we, well not that i want to keep bringing yeah the pain uh, we need to keep bringing, bringing back <laughs> up the pain trust me um but again, we still don't know if this is getting released. We'll find out if we actually hit end at the end of this. That's true. That's <laughs> a good point. Um, maybe this movie is cursed. Um, knock on wood. Maybe we're just cursed. Maybe we are. Knock on wood. Um, but don't like, do it'll ruin the audio. <laughs> don't. You'll ruin the audio. Yeah. Um, what was I saying? Oh, uh, fuck. <laughs> I lost my train of thought. Oh no. Uh, but yeah, no, just. Uh, he yeah. was keeping you anxious. Yeah, yeah. Really, really kept kept my attention, made me anxious. Fuck. Now I can't remember the thing that we talked about last time that I wanted to bring up because oh, shit. it was good. And if it comes back up, let us know. I'll I'll think about it. I'll think about it. All right. Yes. All right. Really, really good. Really, really good. Really <laughs> good. Yeah. Um. I also really, really enjoyed this movie. Um. Like Brendan, I definitely had a very palpable sense of tension, of anxiety the entire time. The fact that that body was in the trunk. Um, never left my mind. I was, I was always, you know, worried how close Jimmy Stewart is getting to it. Um, I thought it was really interesting to see all these dynamics of the characters. Everyone had a very, uh, individual personality and, and worldview. Um, and I thought when Jimmy Stewart gets brings it, gets brought into the mix, that added a whole other element to it. I loved his character so much. Um, I thought, uh, like we said, the, 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 the no cut technique worked really well, even though that was something that critics kind of harped on all the time, but I really, really liked that. Um, yeah, really intriguing film. And, and it was one that I had not seen before. Um, so this was my first time, uh, watching it, even though it's our third time recording it. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I, uh, I, I think the, the sense of tension is going to come up a lot because I just think it, it's really important for this movie. Um, and it, it was something that, I certainly didn't feel at all with the lodger. Uh, didn't really feel. I mean, I, I there was a little bit of tension in uh, the the Thirty Nine Steps, but again, like I, very I don't different know, films. Yeah, yeah, super different. But like, I'm thinking maybe, you know, the the fact that they're in color now makes me relate to them more, or it could just be the fact that the whole thing is like, you know, one set. They're just talking for the whole time, but the these characters seem so well fleshed out, so well written, so well acted. Uh, I just think, yeah, I just, I, I like, I like so much about this film. I, I can't wait to talk about it, you know, go, going kind of through the plot. I, I don't want to give too much away from my notes, but I'm, I was, I was very impressed. And 
it, it kind of snapped me out of my like old movies are boring thing kind of um, <laughs> good good i'm glad yeah like like I, I i feel like i sort of got off to a rough start with the lodger which i i still i, I still maintain my criticisms about that movie but uh yeah anyway ex- I'm, I'm excited to talk about this one yeah i think this and the next two episodes will also get you out of that that good, mindset good. about old movies yes. being boring and, well especially... I, I, as well as vertigo like that, that sure was, yeah that was really entertaining so yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the I think the the word that I would use for this film is dynamic. Like this thing, just it moves. It it all takes place somewhat in real time. Uh, I I love this movie. This was a film that I saw for the first time in that Hitchcock class that I took that I've talked about before. Um, well, actually, no, I didn't watch it in that class. I had to watch it outside of class and write two ten page papers on it. So I I've, I'm very familiar with this film. I've probably seen it hmm. somewhere seven to ten times at this point. Um, but the reason why I keep going back to it is that it just, it moves. Like you said, the performances are so great. And I, I I can't wait to talk about the actual production of this film. So this movie walked. So 1917 could run. And, uh, I want to talk to you guys a little bit about this one shot style that Hitchcock, um, did for the first time in a, in a mainstream film. I mean, it might've been done before in some small film in like Russia in 1925, but I don't know about that movie if it exists. Um, so what were you guys thoughts on this one shot style? Um, so I pretty much only noticed the one shot style once, once they did interrupt the shot. Um, (laughs) and, but yeah, no, after that, like I was, I was super conscious of it. It, it's really cool. It like, it's a great effect. And I, and I love some of the, some of the times that like it, it'll just zoom like across the whole room or especially that ending sequence where it's just like zooming in on on all of these objects like it's just it's so well done and I, I think two of the times that they do cut the shot it's really well done two of the times i think it's it's pretty lazy but like it i don't know it it is, it is like 50 50 on that i, I feel like is is well, kind of fine there was 10 cuts total right really mm-hmm. throughout the, uh, the one whole very obvious cut which is the one at the very beginning yes one very obvious one uh where oh. they cut to him getting strangled uh, but then right, yes. the nine others are are like the hidden ones that are like throughout the yeah. course of the movie. The Floyd, zooms so, into jackets. What was so that? That's um, interesting because I'm trying to think of like which ones were were hidden. Well, okay, there were only four times where it like goes black. I think it's on of, the Wikipedia. I don't know. Yeah. We could. But I mean, the, it is. We on could go through all yeah. of them, but we could if uh, you wanted we, to look up through it. Uh, but I I, yeah. I think it's pretty well done. Where when Kenneth walks in front and yes. because he's walking and so you know it makes sense that it would maybe go dark for a sec mm-hmm. uh but yeah the, and then there are two other times that i noticed it was really obvious and they just like zoom in on someone's back real quick and yeah it doesn't really make sense but then at, at the end i think it's really well done when he uh finally opens the chest and uh then there's another cut which so i apparently there were some that i didn't notice so i don't know kudos to Hitchcock uh-huh. there, but yeah Floyd, you had some pretty fun anecdotes about this whole one take oh, system, and I, I oh I yeah, so again. <laughs> so yeah, I will give me one second. I want to hear Matt's thoughts on the on the shot style, and then I'll talk about. Ah, that. yes, of course, yes, of course. Yeah, um, I I really liked uh, uh, the style of this film. Um, 
like Logan, there were times when I really noticed it, and then there were times when I honestly completely forgot about it. Um, because, I mean, going to the movie, I mean, that was, like, one of the things in my mind, you know, that was, when you first look up the movie, that's, uh, you know, kind of the thing that, that pops out, but I kind of almost instantly forgot it, because I was really drawn into these characters. And I love how they use it, you know, how they use it to withhold information from us, and then to, to show us stuff that maybe other characters don't know. It feels like we're entering into the, the, the minds of some of these characters at times. Um, it draws attention to itself, then it backs away. I thought it was really, really interesting, um, and extremely, um, um, extremely interesting when you look at it in the context of you know how we're very familiar with films like this, um, and how maybe uh, that relation, our relationship to films like this, makes us enjoy it more. Where maybe back in the day when this was released, it was kind of new, too new, too avant garde for audiences. Yeah, what what I love about doing this Hitchcock series is like we're seeing, especially in a couple weeks, we're seeing an invention of an, an entire genre with Psycho, hmm. and it's just small things that Hitchcock does first that really makes him such a significant filmmaker, which is why I'm glad that we're doing this series. That he he literally creates entire styles styles of cinematography. He creates entire genres with the slasher genre with Psycho. Like he he does so many. He things. creates a uh, lot of scandals from just being a really terrible person. Well, yeah, and True. he was a really terrible person. But in terms of the actual innovations that he made with filmmaking, it's it's really interesting to go through his most notable films like this. And Brennan, what you had said about weird or interesting background about this about this movie. So when they were making Transatlantic Pictures, um, they were both really keen on filming plays because they wanted to capture some really good performances by Laurence Olivier, who was mainly a stage actor. Ah, uh, the Olivier um, who Awards was done. Um, who has done, you know, fantastic work in Al- Al- Alfred Hitchcock films like Rebecca, that won Best Picture. Um, but they they didn't really want to just film a play. So this came to him because of that idea, because he was like, I'm just going to make a set. I'm going to have a set where I can move a camera around and just film a movie in almost real time and just try to hide the cuts. Because back then, you only had 10 minutes worth of f- uh, film at one time for one shot. And Hitchcock would do every take full the way through, even if there's a mess up, just to get them that reps. Um, they did three weeks of rehearsal for this thing, and it was mainly just for the camera. Which is the, camera the time that it move. takes to actually rehearse a professional uh, theatrical production is usually three weeks. Oh, really? Yep. Because it's it's so two it weeks perfectly for lines the up. rest of them. And then they do they do two weeks of like normal like studio rehearsals and then a tech week. And then you go into an actual show. Well, it shows you that it, it, this thing perfectly lines up with the theatrical play. And those three weeks, though, that are normally done for the actors, this was mainly done for the camera crew mm-hmm. because they had to have hit they had to hit their marks more than the actors because the movie looks more natural if actors are kind of just moving around, having a party. Meanwhile, the camera has to hit certain things. And this set was so intricately built, all the walls pulled away to get the camera through everything there were people on other sides of the wall constantly making sure the door was swinging like this thing was immaculately conceived by hitchcock and um i think it really works out really well to the film's benefit that it was so so mapped out hitchcock was uh told a story in an interview in the 70s that the first time they were shooting one of the shots they thought they had nailed it on the first try and then they got to the very landing spot that the camera was supposed to be for a cut, and there was a technician standing in the in the windowsill, <laughs> working on one of the lights in the. Speaking in the, of the, the big skyline, of the the big skyline is where we get uh, one of our Hitchcock cameos. Um, yes, and his his big, there's two his big red sign, and then the other one is where the um. Uh, it's the very beginning on the street. He's walking yes. on the street. Where he's just yeah. walking on the street. Uh. 
Um, well, but, well, let's yeah, let's let's get yeah. into the plot a little bit. Yeah, let's sure. talk about this. So, um, so the film opens and the credits seem like just a very normal. It seems so Alfred happy. Hitchcock movie. It seems so chill. Even when the word "rope" pops up in its weird font, it's like ah, cool music, cool. I and then wait, okay. I, my first thing is is with this opening shot. It it looks like very early morning. No, because like the shadow is. I guess it could be like in the evening. But the way the shadows are... I think that's are, what it's supposed to be, yeah. The mm-hmm. way the shadows are, they, they look like very... Like, like first thing in the morning. Horizontal, almost. And, and, like, the sun is just coming up. But, I don't know. Maybe it's going down. But then, like, there's no one walking at the beginning. And then, like, people walk no, and people then a car walking. goes by. And, I don't know. It's weird. Oh, yeah. I figured this was, like... The, the it's the early morning and like people are starting the day. I don't know. And then, and then they went up and they were like, okay, well, it's the evening. And I was like, what? <laughs> Yeah, I never, I never really thought of it as the, as the morning because I just in the plot of the movie it's supposed to be the evening, so I've always just thought of it as the evening. But yeah. I don't know, could be, um, but no, yeah, we get we get this shot of just the street, and then just looks, it pulls up, and then just looks in this window, and we hear a murder. Um, this and is a see very yeah. and very quickly yeah. jump into that apartment and see a murder. See? Did this. Did you guys know that this was the the plot of the movie, or did this kind of jolt Ooh. you guys into the plot? It really um, just dropped me in, like straight yeah, away. Yeah, I mean, I I knew that someone was murdered. I mean, you can figure that like it's a Hitchcock movie; someone is is gonna die. Yeah. Um, but I did not expect to see it in such gruesome fashion. Um, I mean, because we literally see this man just die before our eyes. We see his face as he dies, um, and I would it kind of it shocked me. Um, it, it was very surprising. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't know something like th- that violent could be shown at the beginning of a movie uh, at this at this time period. Yeah. No. I. T- I totally agree. I mean, I kind of figured that someone was going to get killed by a rope, or you know, that it's kind of it's kind of right there in the title. But like, I did not expect uh, to see it like fully see it like broad daylight. You know. Yeah, and right away we get introduced to our two leads, played by Farley Granger, who I really love in this film, but I feel like he is even better three years later in Alfred Hitchcock's uh, Strangers on a Train, which is a film that I definitely recommend. I love that movie. But I think the standout in this cast has to be John Dahl as Brandon Shaw. I love this guy in this movie. He's mainly a stage actor. He's only in a couple films, but I thought he brought um, a real great charisma to the film and exudes confidence, except for when he's around james stewart as we'll get to later yeah i i I feel like you can tell that he's a stage actor like i i very Mm -hmm. much picked up on that like right at the beginning i actually think uh i i preferred philip's performance i just think what he had to do was just so crazy like i i I can't imagine uh taking on that kind of role with the with the amount of talent that he did it was it was really really impressive i i absolutely loved uh philip's performance but yeah the the two of them were both very good and they worked well together they had a really interesting dynamic i was curious yeah. to see it, oh sorry matt go no, ahead uh, no, no no i was just I gonna, was gonna give say, a little random fact yeah. um i was gonna say that i i did also like brandon i thought for me it got a bit too a bit too hammy at times a bit too like evil villainish for me um but i thought for the most part he was really fantastic um, and as we touched on, I, I love the way that at times it kind of it felt like he was trying to emulate Jimmy Stewart's character's personality because he kind of had the same tics and mannerisms at times, which mm-hmm. I thought was interesting. Yeah. Which you don't realize for the first part of the film until Jimmy Stewart gets there and you're like, oh, 
this is what this guy is trying to be because he was something that i didn't realize the first time that i watched it is that jimmy stewart it what i thought that they were just like pals from school but jimmy stewart Mm -hmm. is his headmaster which i didn't i didn't realize at first because i'm stupid um but (laughs) uh, no i i i really enjoyed uh his performance as as brandon i thought that it was uh really just like this this kind of like like reserved like sociopathic kind of deal that he had going on just really made you want him uh, like you know punch him in the face uh but i think that's what he was going for and i think that he really pulled it off i was also what i was gonna say before um because it kind of made me laugh was uh logan you were you were saying such kind things about john doll and i was like i wonder you know he had he didn't have that many film roles i, I wonder if oh, like no. if you could oh, ever no. like uh you know like if he ever like listened to well why would he listen to a podcast but like uh, I wonder if he ever like looks back and hears things about that, or if he really gets the credit he deserved. But uh, yeah, he died in 1971. Uh, he... I was gonna say this movie is 72 years old. Yeah. Well, he was only 50 when he um when he died, which is mm. is really sad. He he had a serious fall and then uh then died of cardiac arrest and donated Damn. his body oh, to science. So well, well, what I was gonna for him. He he rest in peace. He was in another very famous film, uh, Spartacus, by uh, Stanley Kubrick, which you may or may not have seen. Well, uh, Um, if 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 you're a uh, living descendant of John Dahl, then come on the show. Come on the show. Yeah, we'd love to talk to you. Your person. Yeah. What are you talking Um, about, Floyd? You haven't seen the corn is green. (laughs) No, I have not seen the corn is green. Sounds fantastic. Um, but no, what, what I really like about Dahl's performance and is kind of what you guys are saying that it feels almost artificial because what I think Dahl really nails here before people even knew what it was, was the way that a serial killer or a sociopath carries themselves and having this take place at least what, 20 years before 30 years before these type of things were well known in psychology Mm -hmm. Uh, Dahl perfectly imitates these kind of persons, which is why I love his performance so much. Yeah, and I like how immediately we are thrust into their very toxic relationship. So toxic. And we see how manipulative Brandon is. and how Because immediately we see Brandon is happy, he's pleased, he's confident with what he's done. He considers this to be a work of art, he says. But Philip shows a lot more empathy, is very remorseful. You can tell he was kind of forced and pressured into it. Um, And the way he... The way he kind of snaps Philip back into place, you can see Philip kind of like at one point cross the line a bit and then uh, and criticize Brandon, but then he kind of like goes back to his position of submission. It's it's interesting watching that dynamic. Such a submissive that Philip. What a, what a <laughs> sub. Yeah, and we, we should talk about this because we haven't really mentioned it yet, which is something that they never talked about on set. They what only do you referred mean, to Floyd? it we, as we talked it. about it and it, Chuck. And it chapter two. <laughs> You're right. We've talked actually for about three and a half hours about it. Yeah. Um, make me float, Daddy. But on set, they never talked about it. They only mentioned it as it. And this is an interesting tidbit that Farley Granger, um, on one, a documentary about the making of this film, said, everyone knew, but no one talked about it, that these two characters were very obviously in a relationship. And obviously, Brandon was the dominant one in this relationship. He, he completely manipulates uh, Philip at all times. And... You know, it's. I think it's, it's both somewhat progressive and somewhat not to have kind of. a a gay couple in a nineteen film a film from nineteen forty eight. Although they are, you know, murderers, but 
Yeah, they're they're classy gays though. They have their they go to the farm on the weekends. They share a, a penthouse apartment. I I gotta say, I you gotta respect them kind of uh, just for that, <laughs> just for being classy gays. Yeah, I think I think it's interesting how it wasn't discussed on the set because I read that even Hitchcock wouldn't even talk about it. Although he said they said he had a very very keen understanding of it and was very well aware of the sh- sexual dynamic and the sexual tension between them. It's interesting how you know even in the time period in society it wasn't something you talk about. Even in the making yeah. of the movie, you couldn't even mention it. It's interesting. Yeah, and but... how they had to navigate that with the with the production codes and the studios. Uh, enforcing that some dialogue not be said because it has that subtext how they get around that is interesting i so there are two things i'm wondering first i'm wondering how audiences reacted like if they even picked up on it uh they did they did and what was they they did because they knew that it was based on the case ah Uh, okay okay so which it which was very publicized that they were homosexuals so the other thing then is uh the 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 stage play is this mentioned in the play like, is it obvious that they're together? I have not. Or is it I more don't know. Implied, I actually, like, I have not read the play, so I don't know. But I've seen tidbits of it copy. where they use that dialogue that Matt was just talking about, the words like dear boy and stuff like that that don't have those kind of connotations in London, in England, in their version of English. Well, in America, they very much have that mm. sexual subtext. The dialect. Yeah. So I, I, I don't know the answer to that, to be honest. Okay. Yeah, I, I would love to uh, see <laughs> I guess, yeah, if someone wants to send us a bootleg of the stage play, a please, by all the, means, yeah. There's at probably, twistedmugmedia at gmail.com. I know that the script is on Amazon, so maybe okay. if anyone wants to buy it for us, I'll put that out there. <laughs> throw so your Venmo out there. Yeah, I'll, I'll throw my Venmo out there. <laughs> yeah, um, but no, yeah, so I... They they do the murder and it, like you said, Philip is very obviously distraught by this. He I don't think you know they talk about later how like the few intellectuals are above it. I think Philip proves in this movie that he's not one of the quote unquote superior intellectuals that can handle doing this murder because he he falls apart throughout the course of this film. True, he really does. Yeah, and it's interesting because that is that is the normal human reaction, but he is treated by Brandon like he's some sort of. Uh, like you said inferior being you know that he's got a oh he's he's drank too much look at him he can't cope with it yeah yeah and and they immediately set up for this party that is going to be the main basis of this film murder party and uh, murder party and rightfully so philip's like no this is gonna get us caught and brandon with his hubris is like nah it's gonna be it's it's like not signing the signature on the painting and they have this this big group of people over and um i just want to get you guys thoughts on this cast because i think they're fantastic specifically joan chandler as janet Uh, i love this cast and what they bring in this film for the middle half hour yeah i love i love all of them really like they're they're all just so good uh the only one that gets like a little over the top for me is the uh, Mrs. Whatever. I don't know. Atwater. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it's yeah. with the all the horoscopes and everything. Yeah, it's it it's kind of funny. Uh, that thing would definitely read like better in a in a in a play. Uh, yeah, it, it's just like yeah. when you when you have like stage actors. Like I'm sure she's a, a stage actor, and that probably I think she is, that yeah. probably reads very very well on a stage. But just translating things to the screen. It gets a little over different. Top. Now that's a super small complaint, and I still find her really entertaining, uh, as I do with all the other characters. But yeah, that's that's my thoughts on that. 
Yeah, I, I actually really enjoyed the performance of uh, of Edith Evanson as Mrs. Wilson, just because she yes. is like, yeah. she is there completely like unknowing like housekeeper who is like comes in right after the murder and is like why did you move all the stuff i set up on the table like why did you use that chest uh and i think that she like tipping like the way that she unwittingly tips uh rupert off i think is just like really interesting and i i think that her performance was just uh was just really good what's really interesting about her though before matt goes sorry is that they actually treated her her like she was the maid on set to kind of keep in character which is kind of a dick thing to do but like also like i don't know maybe it's maybe it helped them get that dynamic down i don't know but that's just a small tidbit you are inferior yeah yeah and i uh we get introduced to kenneth and janet who i think are two really interesting characters um Mm -hmm. they kind of set up that janet and brandon had some sort of past together i guess brandon is bisexual um and he, you can see him and kenneth and... what no he's just straight <laughs> oh yes completely he's just uh, a straight man and kenneth and janet are exes and janet is currently dating david who's dead and there's so many dynamics going on i love how <laughs> they play dead? with him. who's dead who's dead what's his dynamic and i love how this movie doesn't doesn't treat doesn't treat you like you're a dumb audience member because it really does force you to just pick up on these on the on the dialogue and there's no flashbacks being told there's no specific insights it's all you're just picking up from the dialogue and the acting which i think is an indicator of how strong all those all those elements are yeah it it really treats you like an intellectual superior exactly Uh you're not gonna get murdered don't worry (laughs) and i love the writing in this film i think that it's fantastic i love the double meaning in almost every single line of dialogue that I think it's just it's just so much fun. It gives the movie such great repeat value, re- rewatch value when you can go through and be like, oh, I didn't catch that line before, how that was a reference the to the puns. murder. And I, oh, I didn't catch that line. So this movie puns. is so punny, and it's fantastic. I love yeah. it. Yeah, and even when it gets a little over the top, I kind of like it. Like it adds it adds moments of levity to this very very tense script. True. Yeah. There's there's a kind of like humor to it, playfulness. Yeah, a playfulness, and like the. Yeah, exactly. And the and the humor is not like in your face and obnoxious. It's it's very subtle, very well done. Like I I just I really appreciated that. I I hate when I hate when humor is just like thrown directly into my face, especially like in a movie like this where it's like about such a dark kind of topic. Uh and so I think it it fit perfectly. Uh the the tone of the movie is just fantastic throughout. Yeah, and what I what I want to talk about is like this middle half hour of the movie where they're just having these these conversations. It just feels like you're watching a group of like Manhattanites just kind of get together and party and just have a good time. Like everyone clearly has a previous relationship together in some way, shape, or form. You get to know that all through the dialogue. I think, and I get I almost lose the murder for the first like 15 minutes that everyone's there. And I actually love that I do that because that's putting you in the mindset of the people there at the party that you're not thinking about this. You're just watching these people have party and have a good time. Yeah, I was trying to think about what this film would be like if we if didn't, didn't know, know about the murder at, at the yeah. beginning and how like typical it would be to have like, oh, the the reveal at the end is that, you know, the, the murder was there and, and have uh, have Rupert be like the typical like detective figure who comes in and solves it. But I think it it's so much more impactful to have the murder be the opening and then that's hanging over your head the whole time. That's adding to the tension. It, it's the source of the tension. And I think it's a, a huge added bonus 
that uh, for some moments in there, they can put us in the mindset of the people who don't know. Because, I mean, God, it's just so well done. That's actually uh, what I was going to talk about earlier, was just the fact that, like, because we get this opening shot, I think it puts you almost... I think it's more to follow the story, like, of the murderers. Like, because, like, to more put you in the mindset, like, no, this is, like, their story rather than, like, Rupert's story as the detective, which is why he comes in late to the party. And so that it's more, I think, along the lines of being, like, oh, like, you need, like, I feel like it's framing it in a way that it's, like, you should care about these murderers and about them being found out. Uh, more than the detective actually finding them out. Uh, and especially when they bring up that it was his rhetoric um, that actually, like, put them in this mindset, you know? So I, I think that, like, having that, uh, you could honestly probably cut out parts of the beginning of this movie and start it, like, at the dinner party and show it to someone, and they would, like, have a completely different experience than you, which I just think is crazy. Yeah, these are interesting points uh, that you're bringing up because... In the stage version, the original version of this movie, the murder is not shown. Hmm, um, really? And the fact that the murder, the murder was shown in such a grotesque fashion at the beginning of this movie was something that people really critiqued. That it was one of the main points that critics had against this movie. Uh, the movie was described as uh, just that scene being too garish and it removing – a lot of people said that there was no tension in the movie because of that because you know of the murder, which I think is really interesting because I agree with both of you. I think if we remove this murder out of the beginning of the movie, I think the movie becomes much too vague. I think then there's a complete lack of tension and even though there's, I guess, a bit of uncertainty in whether this did happen or not, I think you would really lose that palpable sense of there is a body in that trunk right now. And it's interesting because the screenwriter himself, Arthur Lawrence – um, really wasn't a big fan of the script and preferred to have uh, the murder not shown, um, which is really interesting. But he said that Hitchcock really, really insisted on having it in the movie. I remember something that we talked about last time uh, was the body being in the trunk uh, and how there definitely yeah. had to be like a way for him to escape. But like, if that was a play, the way that that's set up is that the trunk is at the front of the stage. So he would never yeah. be able to leave. And Logan well, and I did a play when we were yeah, in high school. I was, was going to say, are, are we going to talk about uh, this? I think that we yeah. should. Um, yeah. we, did a, we did a show called Arsenic and Old Lace in which uh, one of our friends played a dead body that gets put in a window seat. And there was a little cutout the back uh but i was just thinking that it would have been funny if he had to sit there the whole time yeah no he never appears as a live person he's only just as a dead body and he's carried by sean at one point yeah yes sean who who you can hear on On stop wait what What. yeah yeah um but it's so interesting because he's placed in like a similar type of chest yeah but but it was like at it was like at the back of the stage and he could just like roll out the back but yeah, I, I I was thinking about that too. Like, what if this was him and he just had to you know go just in the front of the stage the whole time. and just vibe there? Yeah, <laughs> I would get bored. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm assuming yeah, maybe for that first shot, they would the, the first day of filming when they were shooting that first reel, there had to be like when they go into the kitchen, there was probably he just probably just got out. Oh yeah, he I'm probably sure. just left. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but yeah, at least for a minute or two, he was probably in there while they were standing over that chest. <laughs> But, uh, but no, yeah, so, so they get in this party, and they ha- start having these conversations, where Mr. Kentley starts to get disturbed when Rupert shows up, and they start having these, these superhuman theories 
um, that they go into. And I don't know. I love the tension in the scene. I think John Dahl, when he works himself up, gets gives one of some of his best performance right here uh, during these co- dinner scene. Um, I don't know about you guys, but you thought about this. Yeah, uh, I I thought I was a little. I I didn't really know what to make of these like like the class the privilege message that there's that's supposed to be given it's very vague at this point in the movie i I think it's cleared up later but like the fact that both brandon who we know is the killer and rupert who is kind of like the the he's the guy who's gonna solve it are both on the same side with this like elitist like eugenicist kind of stuff so i thought that was weird i mean I, i appreciate that they clear it up later rupert has this kind of realization that that's like not sort of the way that things are supposed to be uh which i appreciate but yeah it it kind of read really weird to me in this scene that both of them were on the same side i was like is this hitchcock's message because when you have something in a film you can either be presenting it as you know kind of the villain's point of view showing people that it's not what you're supposed to believe in or you can just be showing people what they're supposed to believe in and and i could not tell which it was at this point in the movie yeah it was it was tough for me because i I was confused as to whether jimmy stewart's character actually believed these things or if he was just saying these to egg them on in order to solve to find out more clues about the murder but but then we do figure out later that um, you know, this is what he believed in. This is actually what influenced the murder. But I was, I was very, as much as I love this scene, I thought with the rest of me, the dialogue is very snappy. It's very quick. I was confused now. And I was thinking the exact same thing. I was like, what is happening? Because it, it definitely, it runs contrary to Jimmy Stewart's uh, typical image. You know, this is not his, it's a wonderful life character, even though he is uh, not necessarily the one who committed the murder. He definitely has a very, very nihilistic uh, worldview yeah. and, I mean, his rhetoric did influence it. It's interesting. Yeah, I think that. Yeah, and and Stuart. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh no, no, no. I was just, I was just gonna agree with Matt. Uh, I think that just a lot of the, you know, kind of the, the difference that you, that we see in in this role uh, from Jimmy Stewart's other roles, but the fact that like it's not really clear like whether or not like Jimmy Stewart believes this anymore or if, I mean like, is he just egging them on? Like, what does he believe? And I think that like that kind of ambiguity really uh, makes this a really interesting character to say the least. Yeah. What, what I love besides just the line where Jimmy Stewart invents the purge uh, movie series. <laughs> um, I really, I, I love his demeanor in this movie and it, the problem we said with casting Jimmy Stewart is you lose out on that that kind of sexuality that him and Brandon were supposed to be implied history, where they had this implied, oh, he used to go and study at the foot of the master. That was supposed to be an implied gay relationship. Oh, you lose yeah. that with Stewart. That's not in this movie. That's not there. Um, that was what was supposed to be there with Cary Grant. But what you gain from it is I think you really, more than Cary Grant, get that intellectual side from James Stewart that like eventually you realize that this guy does believe this stuff or he thinks he believes it. And I, I believe Jimmy Stewart believes this stuff. Unlike you guys, how you said you weren't sure whether or not he bought it or actually thought these things. I bought that Jimmy Stewart saw himself as above these people because of the way that he carries himself. Interesting. Yeah. I I think if if there is uh, one negative for the movie for me, I I think is this, I think that, and it's, I think Jimmy Stewart is a little bit miscast, you know, both in the exuding sexuality part, but also in, 
unlike you, Floyd, I just it was difficult for me. I just didn't buy it. And it's I don't think Cary Grant could have done that better, even though he might have, you know, implied the gay relationship better. I don't think he would have come across as this very, very pessimistic guy any better. Um, so then, then once we get to the reversal at the end, that's, that's my one negative of the movie. I never completely buy his character's worldview. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I like that we can talk about, uh, this stuff kind of like within the universe. It's very much like a testament to, uh, the movie that, that we're not discussing whether this was, you know, a a good decision by Hitchcock, a bad decision by Hitchcock or, or whatever. Like, it's just, it's interesting to talk about within the context of the movie, uh kinds of the these kinds of themes which which i like yeah if nothing else at least like stewart pulls a lot of things out of the actors around him like i love his conversation with doll where he's talking about him at, about the stutter and I, I think that that's just a that's a that's a conversation where stewart's screen presence really shows where he is in control he knows exactly what he's saying he has full confidence that john doll and brandon wishes he has you know that he he so clearly doesn't because of his stutter which i think is a great touch by doll and i love watching brandon's brandon's um personality start to change from this very very in control uh knowing that the body's in the box and these you know initially kenneth janet these characters don't but then immediately he kind of changes he gets very nervous when rupert shows up but it's this like excited kind of nervous where he's obviously very pleased to have another intellectually superior you know being challenging him oh i I love that dynamic at play it's like a little kid when he gets a new toy Mm -hmm. but no yeah and i i love this as this scene goes on with with james stewart arriving i love the notorious reference i don't know if you brendan and logan were able to catch this when they talk about the new film with Bergman ju- being just this, which was his film, two films before 1946 was uh, Notorious, which was a very famous film. You should go back and watch it. <laughs> um, I love that. But yeah, no, I and we get more information here also about Kenneth and Janet. And that's, that's the thing that, I, again, I really like about this film is that I like the interpersonal drama between just the individual characters, Damn it, regardless of the murder. Like, like Kenneth and Janet have a really interesting subplot in this film that I, I really enjoyed following. And the fact that Kenneth was actually the one that called it off. But we don't really ever get an explanation as to why. Hmm. Yeah, I think that maybe if... Uh, that that was a little bit frustrating. Like, because it was like, oh, like, let's tease these random events. But, like, never actually follow up on them. I guess, like, the murder and the murder investigation, a little more important than that. But, you know, the interpersonal stuff is is you know something that i really appreciate in in movies so i kind of wish they had delved into it a little more yeah and going along with uh some of this interpersonal dialogue i really appreciate uh something in this kind of middle section which would not happen on the stage which is that when actors are having the conversations you can hear like background chatter and Mm -hmm. between that and the continuous uh, camera motion that that makes you really just feel like you're like looking around it makes you feel like you're like there and just observing this which I'd is love to do this show as like a dinner party you know like where audiences yeah. could like walk around but like then the actors are like doing their own thing that would be cool. yeah that, that would be cool i mean it's just that actually that sounds really it's, cool yeah. it's such a cool effect i just i really really uh enjoy that aspect of it and that's something there there i would say two things in this movie that you can do on screen that you that you can't do on the stage one one would be that like kind of having the background chatter making you feel like you're there the other thing would be uh 
the the kind of the camera directing your attention to certain things like my absolute yes. favorite shot in the whole movie is uh when brandon goes into the kitchen drops the rope in the door while the or yeah in, into that drawer while the door is swinging that's yes. such a good shot i i can't mm-hmm. imagine how many times that, that must have taken to get right but like <laughs> like you said if, if the cameraman had a lot of practice that makes sense i just i i think there's so many great shots in this movie Mm-hmm. I agree. Great shot. And it's, yeah, there's there's one shot that I definitely want to remind me to talk about that calls back to Rebecca late in the film. Okay. Um, but no, yeah, I love I love this middle section. It 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 shows great cinematography. It shows great dialogue. But things start to unravel once Brandon decides to play God a little too much, and Janet and Kenneth really start getting fed up with uh with Brandon's brandon's games here as rupert and brandon start to get start to fight more and he starts to figure out more of of brandon's treacherous dealings philip completely unravels drinks more and more he's he's getting increasingly drunk the hair like hammered every time we come back to philip his hair is more messy it's yeah the metronome part i i love that so much just him just getting more and more unhinged the music too gets harmonically uh further and further away from this kind of like home point in the music it's it's so so cool and and the metronome is totally off from what he's playing it's mm-hmm. i find this really well done it it mm. reminds me of um it reminds me of a, a certain scene in twin peaks uh matt and ryan that that you'll know with this kind mm. of kind of rhythmic clicking sound that it really yes. just sets the tone okay. and this is a this is a, a lynch technique yep. that i like which i guess was probably a hitchcock technique first but Exactly. Yeah. See, this is what I'm saying. You're seeing. You're seeing how he is a master of of the craft. Yeah, I love yeah. That. Um, but no, yeah, and, and I love how Stewart, like you said, in this metronome scene and all these scenes, his scene with Mrs. Wilson when they're the only two eating ice cream, he's like, I am the only one having a good time here, <laughs> and I think that it's actually it adds a little bit of humor. It's like, yeah, this you are the only one having a good time, but he's like. I, I love watching James Stewart slowly figure this out. Mm-hmm. And then obviously we hit the point where he completely figures it out when he goes to leave. But I just, I, again, why I like Stewart in this film, even though he is miscast for what the play calls for or for what the story calls for, he brings this, this presence throughout the film that I love. And I think really, really shows, gives the film a, a home base to keep going back to with Stewart being the one trying to continuously figure it out. Also, this proves once again how Hitchcock has a disdain for police because the investigator is a school professor instead of a policeman. Mm, All cops are bastards. (laughs) Obviously. Um, (laughs) According to Hitchcock. According to Hitchcock. Hitchcock. To quote Brian David Gilbert, all cops are bad at cuddling. I don't get it do, do you guys have any uh, any comment on this uh on on stewart's performance as a as a bedrock um yeah i i think he's great um i i think i think he just i mean in every film he is such a very powerful screen presence um and and i love how he just he I, before he is even introduced i think brandon kind of uh, describes him as not adhering to social standards and and he he doesn't he just kind of cuts through the bs like he just he he just he's making fun of the old lady without her recognizing he obviously doesn't really have any care for dinner parties in general um and I, and i love that very awkward sense you know there are times when this when this movie feels like a scene from the office because uh, yeah, even though it's not comedic humor. 
it it is cringy. It is like you you can feel these different personalities sparring. It, it's 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 kind of tough to watch at times. One of my favorite lines in the movie is when they're going to go look at the first editions in the kitchen, and Mrs. Atwater says, "Oh, I used to read a lot when I was a kid," and Brandon says, "Yeah, we all do strange things when we're children." <laughs> I don't know why, but that line makes me laugh every time I see the movie without fail. There, there is some great humor, I gotta say. Yeah, and and, and that was the writing. one time where like. Well, and that's what you're saying, like, Jimmy Stewart has these little ribs against Mrs. Atwater that she doesn't pick up on, but Brandon is just so obnoxiously over the top with it that even Mrs. Atwater is like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. This isn't, uh, this isn't necessarily, like, comedy from the film, but a little, uh, a little comedy and a little humor for real life. Uh, Dick Hogan, who played David, uh, this was his last film role that he ever did. And he was in it for a Not second. Not because he died immediately after. Not because he, he died was, immediately after. because no. he got strangled. Yeah, exactly. Uh, no, he actually, he lived until 1995. I'm just rolling in it with the, the death dates this the year. death dates, yeah. Uh, he, really... was, he was God. 77. By the way, go back and re-listen to our uh, 39 Steps and find out how Robert Donnett died. Oh, oh boy. Real sad. <laughs> Real sad. <laughs> Anyway, if, if, if anyone's wondering, Douglas Dick died in 2015. Not Douglas no, Dick. He made it a long way. He made it a long time. Jesus, Good that was the guy who played uh, Kenneth. Kenneth, right? Yeah, Douglas Dick. One of my favorite names. <laughs> Farley Granger <laughs> only died in 2011. Yeah, dang. Well, Farley was young. He was in, he was in like his early to mid 20s in this movie. Well, he was wow. born in in 1925, so. So yeah, uh, for, so yeah, early mid twenties. So now we're in the second hour of the show where we just talk about people's names and death dates. <laughs> names so and times yes, they exactly. died. <laughs> that is what did Jimmy That Stewart is always die? the second hour of the Cinema Talk podcast. Oh, sure, when, is. When, so it's when like did... page two of the oh, Google wait. search. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I so Mr. Kentley, uh, there you go. Jimmy Stewart really? went to Princeton. Um, yeah, there All you right. go. That's fun. When um, did he die? But no, yes. 1997. No, no, no. no I need on. to know when he died. 1997. Thank you. Let's talk about David. He he's the one who died. Um. But so Mr. Kentley is freaking out, and so is his wife because they can't get a con a hold of David because David's dead in that chest, and they go to leave, and everything like Brandon says is going off with without a hitch. You know, Philip's getting really hammered and scared, but you know he doesn't have anything until. Mrs. Wilson hands him the wrong hat. Yep. And I love the way Hitchcock shoots this. Hold on. Oh, Monogram oh yes. Hat. DK. Donkey DK. Kong. Donkey Kong. Oh, yes. There you go. I, Donkey Kong. I, I yeah. laughed at that. I was like, before I realized that that was like an important plot point, I was like, DK. <laughs> um, no, okay. I, I, I want to... I want to jump back because I just looked it up. I actually did know that Jimmy Stewart went to Princeton. I I don't think we mentioned this on the show. I I don't think we talked, but whatever. Uh, Fuck like anonymity. I don't really care. I I feel like I feel like we said where most of us go to college on the show, but I I, oh I've I've mentioned that I go to Pitt many times. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I I I do go to Princeton, and the the theater group that I'm in, the Triangle Club, Jimmy Stewart was actually in that group. No way. Oh, that's cool. Yes. So he was in the club. Along, there, right. there are a lot of other famous alumni, but yes, he, he was, so that's, that's how I knew him actually, yeah. but okay. There um, you go. Tell him we said hi. I did not put that together. <laughs> yeah, He's seriously. dead. We <laughs> talked about this. Sounds good. 
<laughs> if he's haunting we, the the halls of Princeton, let let us know and tell him that we said what's I up. Sure would you go back yeah, to your no, college we, to haunt? If you were a ghost, would you haunt your college? I would. No, I just try to go party. That's a question with, I would just try to go party with them. There, yes, a, I would. I would question haunt for them. Stop. Wait, wait, I would. A good stop. Haunt uh, them. Yes, I just go party. <laughs> these are these are supposed to be the best years of your life, right? Movies. I mean, like, come on. <laughs> yeah, ghosts go hard. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> ghosts go, ghosts go real hard at frat parties. I'll tell you what. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not making that joke on the podcast. Nope, it's fine. We're moving on. Let's just make it, after, uh, make it after. Make it after. Make it after the outro music. No oh boy. Is All Kim right. Jong Un gonna be there in the fall? We'll find out in a couple days, probably. Fingers <laughs> crossed. <laughs> Fuck you, Kim Jong Un. There it is. I said it. I don't care. Um, I don't either. Don't He's terrible. Us, Fuck you. <laughs> yeah. He's dead. Um, yeah. Well, we don't know that for sure yet. He probably is dead. We can only hope. <laughs> Okay. Uh, we take it. All right, boys. Are we taking bets on the Deadpool? <laughs> but it's Kimmy. just on Kim Jong Un. Oh no, not Kimmy. <laughs> not Kimmy. Kimmy's a firework. Are they gonna the the interview our podcast? You never seen the movie The Interview? No, yeah. I've not. no. I did, okay, didn't you hear what I just said? Go watch that movie. No, I said, I are they gonna interview our podcast because uh, of yeah, there because we go. we're making fun of Kim Jong Un. <laughs> Nice. Yeah, seriously. I love that. Okay, so wow. Jimmy Stewart finds the TK <laughs> in the hat, Donkey and he's Kong. like, "All right, there it is." You can't and be Donkey Kong goes. Then it'll be obvious that we just came back from a cut. Oh no, that's not getting cut. Oh, it's not getting yeah, cut. So okay, cut. In. Oh no, that's not getting cut. I'm leaving that in. Okay. <laughs> there we yeah, go. I mean, I, it's not it's that fine. I. It's not that I disagree. It's just that I'm a little scared. He's a dictator. <laughs> he's dead, it's and fine. he's also in charge <laughs> of a country. Yeah, if 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 North Korea can potato. manage to get into our country and kill us for making those comments, we have bigger issues as a country. I have a bigger yeah. issue if I am going to North Korea anytime soon. Yeah, seriously. So, uh, the world's shut down. We're not flying to North Korea for vacation anytime soon. I'm not gonna fly True. Here. Also, no one listens to this show. Hey, there we go. Hey. FBI agents. If you do, definitely not an hour in. Yeah, yeah. If you, if, except, for, except for our FBI agents. Exactly. Up, but if hey guys, you do listen, DM us on Instagram fans. or Twitter at Twisted Mug Media or email us at twistedmugmedia at gmail.com. Nolan listens. Please. There we go. Nolan listens. Nolan listens. <laughs> what's, Hi, Nolan. What's up, Nolan? Don't don't tell Kim Jong-un. To Nolan, don't tell talking. Kim Jong-un. It's okay. <laughs> He's tell. dead. It doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So he leaves. He rushes out in a panic and... Uh, Brandon Brandon thinks that he did it. Brandon thinks that he's done. He's like, all right, cool. Let's go up. Get rid of the body. Let's it's go to all the chill. farm. But then, uh, after Mrs. Wilson leaves, we get that call. And this last 15 minutes of the film, I think, is some of the best that Hitchcock has ever made. Brandon's I love the something. ending of this film. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's tense as hell. Um, I mean, you're you're wondering when Jimmy Stewart will come back, and once you hear that phone ring, you you, you know it's him. Um, and, and once he does come back, the dynamic is totally different because Brandon can't hide behind any of the other party guests. He can't deflect any of the comments those way. It, it's it's a direct confrontation at this point, and he de- and he can't hide Phillips. <laughs> Philip is yeah, obviously Phillip's distraught, and him mess. blaming it on the drinking is slowly not working anymore. Okay, so yeah, Matt, so, no, you're totally right. The tension about tension at the end of this film is fantastic. <laughs> and so he goes, he very obviously slides his cigarette case there. He's not fooling anyone. They know that he's there to investigate. 
And like you said, Philip just slowly deteriorates. And I, I love cat the cat and mouse game, yep. as Philip calls it, through the last 10 minutes of this film. Yeah, it's a good one. It's a, it's a good cat and mouse game. I, I, I do really like the like intellectual kind of banter that they've got going on at the end when he's like solving the case and everything. Uh, and the whole situation with the gun at the end, crazy crazy yeah. tension i lo- i love that's the way that brandon plays that off at first though he's like it, it's a little what? it's a little bit of a goofy scene watching it now like like you know it's it's like it's like 10 seconds of them grappling with the gun and there's like no music and it, it's, it's a little bit outdated i think now but um certainly the tension is very high um i i do uh i do kind of fall out of step with the film once we once we get to jimmy stewart realizing realizing you know the murder and once we get to this his kind of turn of character um that's the part okay. that i kind of fall out of step with the movie because as i said previously i just i i never quite bought uh jimmy stewart having these world views i i, I, I didn't buy him him as an actor doing i think he's miscast in this sense so when there is that reversal at the end that was the one part that just did not work for me at all it felt just very i don't know maybe if this would have come off better worked better in the stage play but it just disingenuous for me i no, i disagree with you again obviously about Stuart. but what i really love about this last uh last sequence is the reference to rebecca where he retraces the steps he's like what would you have done if you were me and retraces the steps much like a very similar scene in rebecca where the film plays with the empty space and i love when films play with the empty space in a picture that things should be filled by but aren't Mm -hmm. and i think that this film really excellently plays on that in this last sequence when it just follows exactly basically and again this is the same thing this is brandon coming brandon is trying to be james stewart because james stewart immediately plays out exactly what they did because he knew exactly what to say in terms of what brandon would have done for this murder yeah i i love that scene the the shots of where the camera just pans across these objects you know ones that brandon would have been interacting with but but are, are now just kind of empty in it and it gives gives the scene gives the shots of a um a, an interesting sort of dread morbidity and, and and it's and it's weird because in the rest of this movie everything there, there's a lot of clutter there's a lot of people moving around there's a lot of things going on so now uh the movie kind of slows down at this part and shows us the empty space that that these characters were inhabiting and there's a sense of of sadness there well it's like this jazz idea that like what's not there is more important than what is there i do like jazz the negative space (laughs) exactly the negative space it's a very cool idea that i think is absolutely used uh very very well here yeah yeah and, and the scene like you guys pointed out the gun you know scraping for the gun and getting shot might have been a little goofy in this shot in this scene but i love the moment where jimmy stewart calls him out for having the gun in his pocket and doll tries to play it off and i i love that interaction where he's like he's like did you hear what he said about the gun ah like i I don't know like it, it felt very much like he was trying so hard to keep that face and then he just knew eventually that he couldn't he's like oh i'm after, so clever after so much time mm-hmm. and eventually he's like you know what just do it just throw that open and you know that's that's an interesting point. Would have it been more suspenseful? Let more suspenseful if we didn't know when he threw that before he threw that chunk trunk open that there was actually going to be a body in there. Before he threw I don't that know. Chunk open. <laughs> I think maybe it would have because if if the film if the film did that, 
then um, I, I guess Jimmy Stewart would have been uh, more of a villain before this, you know, because his worldview is so harsh and, and you're not sure if, if, if him, if he's even going to solve this. So when he has this turn of character, maybe it's, you know, it's all for nothing. I don't know. Yeah. I, I still think I, I'm glad that they showed the body, uh, David dying in, in the beginning. Yeah, I think. It but yeah, this is interesting. Way. I wasn't sure if they were gonna show the body in 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 the crate once he opens it up, but I like that we just see their reactions because you know we know what is in there and we're watching their reactions. Yeah. Yeah, I was. I think it's cool. I was wondering if there was gonna be like some kind of fake out, like it wasn't actually there, or it was. <laughs> he know, got some... up and left. Yeah, yeah, right. Like something had happened to it. I don't know, but it, it, I, I, I just that was like my. 2020 brain being like well there's got to be something else but like it given that no, this it's was just the corpse <laughs> yeah given this was kind of the first of its time like it, it it's not time to like spoof this trope yet it's just the your trope. galaxy brain yeah <laughs> yeah and what, what i love actually about something kind of similar to that twist it was like later earlier in the film when he gives um kenneth the glass of uh champagne to take into uh, Janet while she's on the phone he's like what and then suppose David would walk in How, is that what you want and he's like oh no that'd be too much for shock like yeah <laughs> that would be too much if, if David wasn't actually in that in that case af- after they open it um I know yeah James Stewart and I agree with you a little bit Matt that it's a little heavy-handed here when he's going through it's like oh I denounce everything I've said and I'm sorry and I'm turning you guys in and I hope they kill you for this and it's like well dude you kind of taught them to do this so like you're somewhat capable uh culpable here yeah i just i, I just didn't buy it and, and even though i i really i i still like the ending i like that i like that zoom out where we see all the characters there was just a piece mm-hmm. of me that wasn't fully in it just because immediately he renounces everything he knew just it didn't work for me either no yeah no i i agree with you especially with that last that last ending shot where he shoots three times out the window we pull back let all three of them stand there let very much like in. they're on a stage and then, yeah, you get that sink-in moment. He goes, and he sits down. Uh, Dahl takes a drink, or Brandon takes a drink. Farley, or why do I keep calling them by their actor names? Philip starts playing the piano again. And, you know, that's just, that's it. I don't know. Is there anything else that you guys want to bring up before? I, uh, yeah, I, I feel like Philip playing the piano wouldn't really make that much sense. But it's cool. It has a good effect. I, don't I mean, it's the last time he's going to be able to. True. I think That's kind of true, yeah. yeah. I think that a moment that you don't really get, like, bringing up that kind of, like, moment just to let everything sink in is something that, like, happens a lot in theater, but you don't really get it that much in film because it, like, always cuts to the next thing. But because this is basically just a play that's with a cameraman moving around the set, uh, you're able to, like, get that moment to just let everything sink in and just let the show, like, come to an end. And it gives you that kind of catharsis at the end, which I think is really great. Yeah. I, I like how they bring in after he shoots out the window. You hear the sounds of the outside because it provides yeah, great a nice sound kind of, design. Yeah, it provides a nice kind of bookend to the film because uh, we start off the beginning of the movie seeing the outside, seeing people walk around, seeing Hitchcock himself walk around. But then the rest of the movie, you are trapped inside this room, um, and although it is a very tense situation, you can tell that these Brandon and Philip feel safe because um, they are kind of in control of the situation. This is you know this is their uh, their territory. But then you kind of see the outside world, the consequences start to seep in, which I think is cool how they do that with the sound. Yeah, the the idea of consequences is really cool, I think, because it, it does really seem 
like uh, there are no consequences for them. They're just they did the crime. They put it in. They put it. They put their victim in the box, and then you know, no consequences, no outside world. And yeah, I think it's a really nice way uh, to bring everything back into perspective and say, oh yeah, there are actually consequences for you know killing a guy. Yeah, yeah, they're gonna they're gonna get murdered. They're gonna get executed for this, you know. Yeah, freaking because that was the time period. Yeah, you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna get executed for murdering someone back in that time. So, um, so now yeah, I think that we've had a, a really. But before we go, actually, to final thoughts, I do want to talk about how this film got panned by critics. We we kind of we mentioned that a little bit before. away from the 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 total runtime of the film. I told you guys that we were going to. Yeah, I doubt um, it. I told you that we were going to, but no, yeah, there's they, this movie got panned by critics and they, like Matt said, they cited the one shot uh, technique. They cited the, the murder at the beginning and this film tanked at the box office, but it's kind of interesting that this is now somewhat become one of Hitchcock's more like second tier films that people go to as one of his, one of his big movies. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, it, it, it's interesting. Um, I kind of brought this up before, but I, I wonder if, um you know the modern day reaction to this movie being a lot more favorable than when it was released is because we are much more familiar with this technique and i mean it's funny because this technique is now regarded as something that's sometimes pretentious and sometimes like that's a very you know that's a very oscar baity movie you know uh birdman 1917 Hmm. um yeah it works those movies win oscars yeah and it's true and and i like seeing how this film kind of grew over time and yeah it's interesting i even read that um hitchcock himself you know I know Jimmy Stewart even agreed that he was miscast. Like there was negative reactions from the cast themselves. I know Hitchcock was displeased with the movie and pulled it from circulation later on, um, which I think is interesting. He did not he kinda, want to talk about it. Yeah, he didn't want to talk about it. Um, but I, I like that is now had kind of as a, a fan base now. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess it was just sort of ahead of its time because what it, what, uh, what the hell was I going to say? Oh, what 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 I'm hearing from like the the critics' complaints is that it was too kind of unusual, too yeah, too, like too weird. And I feel like over time, I we've definitely come to appreciate those things more. Uh, and I think this movie holds up really, really well. I mean, I again, I have very little experience with Hitchcock. Uh, barring what we've reviewed actually on this show. I going to say, you're starting to get more. You're getting uh-huh. an education here. Exactly. so educated. Exactly. Uh, uh, but yeah, I, so we, we will see how that goes um, in in the next the next few movies we do, if those hold up as well. But yeah, I really... Three more left. Yeah. Yeah, I hope they do. I hope they hold up. So uh, yeah, I think that's a good place to wrap it up. Let's do uh, final thoughts and ratings. Start with you, Brendan. Yeah, I think that this uh, this movie definitely holds up really well over time, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, I think that I enjoyed it a lot because it was a lot like a stage play, and I, I like stage plays. Um, I think that there was a lot of really interesting elements um, to this movie that make it what it ultimately was, uh, and a lot of things that if they had been changed would have been a completely different movie. So, I don't know. I just, you know, I think that this is a really good movie. I think it holds up well over time. It has some problems. It's a little cheesy uh, at some points. But, you know, it's it's pretty good. I'm going to give it an A-. minus. Yeah. Um, like everyone here, I really, really like this movie. Um, I think the one-shot technique is used really well. 
Um, I like how they make it both subtle and noticeable at times, kind of playing with that. I like how that brings us into the conscience of, of Brendan, of these sociopaths. What? Um, I, I like how... Oh, he did oh. it. He did it. <laughs> and I did it. Brandon, Brandon, sorry. <laughs> and um, I like watching all these dynamics play out, um, even though this is... Uh, you know, based off of a play, I, I think this is just written very, very, very well. And even though some elements I think maybe would work better on the stage, I, I still think overall this is a great movie. For me, my one uh, big complaint does come in with Jimmy Stewart's character. I think he is miscast. And for me, that the ending never doesn't really work for me as much as I want it to. I, I just I never really feel uh, the emotional beat that they're trying to give me because I don't I don't really buy that. Uh, that reversal in Jimmy Stewart's character. Uh, so I think for that, I'm going to give it an A minus, but even with that, I think this is a fantastic movie. Um, a, a great film to watch and definitely one that, um, you know, is not as talked about as other Hitchcock movies, but you definitely should check it out. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I really enjoyed this movie. Really enjoyed it. Uh, I have very few complaints about it and I thought it was very innovative. Love the acting, uh, love the directing, love the camera work. I love just this overall balance of this, these theatrical elements uh, with the subtlety. Um, I just think that's a balance that's done so well. And I love these performances. Um, I, I'm going to go with an A for this one. Really, really solid film. Uh, yeah, as I mentioned, I have a, I have a long history with this movie. I've seen it you know, seven to ten times. I'm kind of kind of living with it at this point. I've seen it, you know, that many times in two years. I've I've researched it so much that it just it kind of it's a movie that I don't even really process that much anymore. And even just rewatching it today for literally the fourth time for this podcast. Um, I only watched it two times all the way through for this podcast, but I watched part of parts of it four separate times. You know, it's just it's just this movie that I go back to as not being on that first tier of Hitchcock with Psycho, Rear Window, and Vertigo. Um, but it, it's I think it's my number four for his for his films. You know, it's it's something that I go back to. I think it's a, an airtight eighty minute film, which we don't see eighty minute films very much anymore. Not good ones, at least. Normally, those are like eighty minute stinky horror movies that get shat into theaters in January, uh, like The Turning this past January. Um, but no, it, it's it's a tight film. Hitchcock's uh, innovation in the cinematography was brilliant. I love the way that the set was constructed. Um, that allowed for the camera to move around. I love the performances specifically by John Dahl. I think he was fantastic. James Stewart, yes, was miscast, but still brought a very great anchor to the film and his performance. And uh, yeah, I think the script is just rock solid. Uh, I think this is a great movie um, just below perfect, though. I'm going to give it an A. I think it's, it's, it's one of Hitchcock's best. And that's the reason why I wanted to – I was a little hesitant to pick it. I kind of wanted to push for a, a movie like Shadow of a Doubt that I know we have a little bit of a difference of opinion on that Matt's not a fan of. But I'm glad that we did this um, because this was such an innovative film, and that's kind of the point of this series is try, trying to you know, you know chron, uh, go chronologically through some, some film history, which I'm, I'm really glad that we were able to do here. So – uh, next two weeks, or not next two weeks, come back on Friday because of the little miss-up on our recording schedule. Oops. Come back on Friday for our review of uh, of Rear Window, and then next Monday we will be back with Psycho. Um, but So we're going to have to play around with our schedule. We might have a, a Stop, Wait, What come out on Wednesday. I don't know. We're going we're gonna to figure it out. But <laughs> stay tuned to the feed. We're going to have uh, three cinema talks in a week's time, and we're going to have a lot of podcasts on this feed because – of uh you know a lot, that little miss up last week but yeah i i love this film 
and uh, I'm excited to move forward forward with series. Do you guys have any besides Matt, who I'm sure does? Do you guys have any background information on Rear Window? No, I I've heard it referenced in the you know looking at the window at things trope. But okay, uh, nice. Yes, uh, no no experience with the movie, just with uh, the, just the, the references that in it um, or the references to it in pop culture. Which yeah. are prevalent. Yeah. Matt? Oh, um, yeah. So I've uh, I- I've seen the movie uh, two times. I-, I really enjoy it. Um, I think it's going to be really... I think, I think Logan, you'll really, really like it. Um, I'm definitely, so excited. This is, I think this you'll is like really, really like... like it. The innovation that exists in that film and the intricacies, it is it is a delight to watch out. Um, it- it's great. It- it's a little bit less morbid than this movie, but still has that yeah. uh, dark Hitchcock humor and tone. Yeah, so excited. I just... Very fun. I just finished watching it right before we recorded this, and my brain was like, "All right, time to talk about Rear Window." I was like, "No, go back to Rope, get get back to that that mindset." Uh, but we have some really, like I said, we have some really other awesome podcasts on this feed. You guys want to talk about those a little bit? Some really other awesome podcasts. Yeah, I'll talk about some shows. Oh, yes. uh, <laughs> uh, we, I do. Uh, I don't grammar well. Okay, uh, we know. Uh, <laughs> I apparently can't speak right now. Uh, I do a show uh, called Stop Wait What. It's a comedy podcast, uh, comedy advice show, more specifically. I'm the host. We uh, we have fun. We like to have fun. We answer questions from the Yahoo Answers service. A uh, little bit of little bit of fun there. A little bit of comedy. Uh, and I also a do a little sh- bit of fun. A little bit of fun. A little bit of comedy. <laughs> if much. you want to sprinkle that into your day, uh, just released an episode called Swords Are Us with me, Ryan, and Nolan. Uh, super fun episode go check that out it was just posted the feed and then i also host a show called twisted bug mysteries which is uh our premier occult and spooky things podcast your one-stop shop for everything spooky stay spooky boys um where we uh look at different occult and spooky things uh at various things and 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 logan and ryan have both been on episodes of, of that as well as nolan's been on some uh and it's just a good time and hopefully we'll have more episodes of that coming out for you soon yeah that's my show's logan matt (laughs) Matt and i both leaned forward at the same time to talk about this next one um this is uh, uh back in style is our twin peaks podcast um i've seen the show before matt has not ryan has also not and uh he joined us for an episode recently so um i'll be back again soon i wasn't on the last one because of finals but i'll be back soon yeah yeah uh and so we're just going through every episode of twin peaks uh we're about halfway through season two right now we're gonna do the movie firewalk with me we're gonna do uh season three the return we're gonna maybe also do some other david lynch movies uh after that but you know that'll that'll be pretty far out but um yeah our, our big gimmick is that we never spoil anything past the episode that we are talking about uh in that episode so if you want to start watching the show, it's it's very bingeable. It's on Netflix, and so you can uh, you can you can join us with that. Yeah, yeah and our other two shows on the. Oh, sorry, go ahead, Matt. <laughs> no, I'm just I was just gonna add to that and say, yeah, that, that's a great show. And uh, if you want to introduce the other ones, go for it. No, yeah, our other our other two shows on the feed. We got the Octo Island podcast, which is going to be starting back up here very soon, where we're going to be talking about the Duel of the Fate script that we've been talking about talking about for so long. Uh, that that review will be coming soon, and then we are starting our uh, Clone Wars watch through, which currently right now the series finale has been premiering on Disney Plus, and it's just fantastic. So excited to talk about that. And me and Matt are done with school now, which means we can crank out a lot of these 
best of the decade movies that we need to watch so that we can do our top 25 on our cinema talk movie journal podcast where we just talk about all random things movies so uh hit us up guys on social media at twisted mug media on instagram and twitter hit us up at email us at uh twisted mug media gmail.com and uh yeah i think that's that's about it for for this time so uh we will be back uh something will be on the feed on wednesday we're not sure quite yet and then we'll be back on friday to catch back up with rear window and then monday next monday with psycho oh, sorry so, we, uh, we we did miss talking about one show and that was our, that? our april fool's gift to you which was oh, the yes. Yes, baking yes, show. Yes, yes. god call me masturbating <laughs> yes Yes, that's true. I I did record uh, the first episode of our yearly bake uh, of our yearly annual baking show. That means the same thing. I'm tired. Uh, (laughs) God, it's understandable. It's finals time. You're tired, and you've done this three times, so I don't blame you. Yeah. Uh, God caught me masturbating, which is my uh, my baking show that I've been talking about doing on various stop wait what's. But it's a it's a nice like, and it happened. It happened. It's like a nice hour long episode of me baking peanut butter cookies, uh, where you can follow the recipe along with me i talk about the recipe as we're going uh you don't have to though obviously uh but i give some some nice kind of behind the scenes commentary of the stuff that we do on the channel and it's a good time if you want to want to spend some time with me as i bake yeah and just one last thing uh as we mentioned earlier guys email us you get one shot find which episode brendan did not watch the movie and you'll get a (laughs) a copy of star wars the last jedi so uh i'm ryan brendan i'm matthew i'm logan And uh, we'll be back here on Friday with Rear Window. See you guys. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ too. the sex cop. That's what Logan has written on his screen right now. Can we get through the end of this podcast? No. (laughs) I thought you had homework to do. I do, but I'm entertaining myself. The Circle Jerk Podcast. (laughs) Join us next week as we review Jesus Christ 2, the sex cop. (laughs) It's the sequel to Jesus Christ Superstar.